Hello and welcome to Ayer Thinker, where international affairs are discussed. I'm Martin Zupko. It is estimated that over 600,000 Afghans fled Afghanistan after August 2021, when the US military left the country. Many of them were following the dream of asylum in third countries. However, France 24 reported that over 345,000 Afghans have returned to their country or been deported since Pakistan in October 2023 ordered undocumented migrants or those who have overstayed their visas to leave. Now we have some clashes between Pakistan and Iran. Also in Afghanistan we have the government of Taliban. So today's issue is to speak about what's going to happen with those 600,000 estimated people who went to Pakistan. And my expert today is Ido Ras. Hello, Ido. Hello. Good to, to be here, Martin. Ido is a researcher focusing on the Afghanistan-Pakistan region, especially geopolitics and terrorism. He is also a PhD student of international relations at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, finance intelligence analyst, and the Middle Eastern studies and Arabic graduates. Ido has also very decent publication history, and I especially like the article that I found on the website of the Institute of National Security Studies in Tel Aviv that Ido wrote about the Pakistan-Israeli relations. I recommend to read it. So let's go to our topic, Ido, and we try to explain, we try to understand the situation in this region. So let's start uh, with the first question, and... I mean, for our viewers and students, what are the scale and humanitarian implications of the mass departure of Afghan refugees from Pakistan? What's going to happen with those people? So I think we, before we deep in uh, the big questions, uh, we have to say a couple of words um, that in a turned state like uh, Afghanistan, an unstable country like Pakistan, it is always hard to reach an accurate measure of any crisis, and, and but particularly the Afghan refugee crisis. Um, one of the reasons it's so difficult for us uh, researchers and policymakers uh, to follow the scale and precisely the data and reports we get in uh, our table, uh, it is it, it comes from diverse interest groups and actors presenting different point of views and different picture. Um, for instance, IGOs like the UN Refugee Agency, and INGOs, uh, like, uh, let's say, the Human Rights Watch, um, tend to show us a more complex, much complex picture of the refugees crisis on the one hand. On the other hand, uh, let's say the Pakistani government documents would uh, show us a different picture. So I think we, we I, I, I always, sorry, have to start with that, saying that. Um, so after saying that, let's dip in uh, the, uh, the waters. So... I think that the humanitarian implications of the Afghans uh, refugees are really devastating. I mean, firstly, after the Taliban returned to power in Afghanistan in August 2021, between 600 to 700,000 people, as you said, uh, of Afghans immigrated to neighboring Pakistan, uh, mainly uh, fearing what's to come. So some of them uh, were officials and personals in the last regime, journalists, uh, human rights uh, activists, uh, that realized that once the Taliban 2.0 uh, will return, as it did back in power, they would face a persecu persecution, a execution, a rape, arrest, and more. And as for the women, uh, the lack of ability to work. So those people were likely uh, to face the humanitarian violation, as I said, um, after crossing the Duran line, the, the border, back to the Afghan side. So this is the first part. Secondly, as a known Game of Thrones quote says, the winter is coming in the Himalayas. Uh, so for at least, I don't know, 400,000 people, uh, the returned uh, refugees, it's already... It, got, it already came and, and stuff. Um, I mean, some of the refugees have no place to come to 
when they come back to Afghanistan, uh, where some of them actually are Pakistan-born, um, and their parents migrated to Af- to Pakistan back in the Soviet invasion in uh, 1979. So for those undocumented uh, Afghans, that even some of them didn't uh, wear one second in their lives in Afghanistan, coming back is actually coming back to nothing. So hence, they are likely to face homelessness, um, poverty, and most importantly, an inability to cope with the winter. Um, This is another um, section. So thirdly, uh, this time from the Pakistan side, uh, some of the refugees already have raised families in their time in Pakistan. Uh, Some of them, as I said, were uh, a lot of years there. So I saw an interview in one of the biggest um, media outlets uh, with an anonymous uh, Pakistani who had to leave the, its a Pakistani wife and kids that they were born in Pakistan um, and re-emigrate to Afghanistan. So there is some cases that you have raised your family, the your Pakistani family, and uh, now you have to leave them to Afghanistan. So I think from a broader perspective, uh, 1.6 or 1.7 million refugees uh, that come to Afghanistan and um, and do aggravate the economic situation in the country uh, after they, they will come. I mean, for a country with a population of 40 million people in which 95% of them are eating uh, insufficiently, according to the UN's uh, reports, um, the added people, the, the added the refugees, uh, will not ease the situation, of course. Um, for the Taliban, uh, de facto authorities in uh, Afghanistan, it creates a complex situation because they try to avoid avoid the interference uh, in uh, in their internal internal affairs on the one hand, but they have no choice but to collaborate this time with the U.S. agencies and uh, other NGOs to take care of the mass returning Afghans on the other hand. So I think this is. Uh, how I would see this the scale of the this crisis. What difficulties do returning Afghans face in a home country? Because we know that when you are in a like another country and you want to return, to return is not a big deal because you can always cross the country because you are leaving. But the yeah. big deal is to return in a safety place where you are received as a human being. So can you please elaborate how those people are received in Afghanistan? So um, I think I would start with uh, with what could happen because we don't know much. Um, so as we discussed before, coming back to a Taliban-led state isn't an ideal situation for most of the people, and in particular for the Afghans who escaped from this uh, radical regime in the first place. So besides the poverty, and so um, many refugees could be used for the Taliban purposes, as we saw in the history in other extreme-led states, like, uh, let's say, Syria and Libya. Um, And to be more more specific, we saw Assad Syria, how returning people from Lebanon, for example, had to, has been recruited for the Syrian uh, first division of the army, or been brought to arrest for under... uh, conditions in Libya, returning refugees have been killed and robbed um, by militants and on their way back home to the homeland. So there's just uh, two um, examples of a large documented experience of migrants uh, returning home. Um, so this could be uh, one of the, of the potential causes. In another scenario, the returning Afghans could find, uh, find themselves joining criminal and even a terrorist activity after lacking out of options because of poverty. Um, If we we want to be more particular, so in the last two years, we have seen an increase of the Khurasan Islamic State branch in in Afghanistan, in the region, uh, which mainly, uh, as I said, concentrated in Afghanistan and also Pakistan. So the ISIS-K, um, manages a recruitment recruitment system that operates uh, by a couple of uh, propaganda media outlets in many languages, 
in order to recruit diverse origin of Muslim in South in Central Asia. So these uh, people coming to nothing, this uh, uh, ISIS-K um, activity could find themselves cooperating with uh, each other. Uh, at the same time, we also see an increase in uh, another terrorist group in the region, the Pakistani Taliban, that operates between uh, the Durand line, the two sides, uh, whom we will talk about later, uh, that uh, also could attract Afghans to its uh, to its ranks, and especially the Pashtuns migrates that uh, we will uh, come back, that would come back, sorry. So that's about it. Um, I would say that the Taliban said that it uh, it, um, it put some tents, some refugee uh, camps near the border in the Afghan side uh, to help the the people returning back and uh, will try to find them uh, some jobs. But I don't know how much it really happens. Uh, I don't see a lot of uh, picture from that or uh, any um, uh, people, uh, journalists saying that uh, it's really happening. So this is what the Taliban in their side said does happen. And Ida, I want to ask you, like, do we have any information? How does it look over there? Because, you know, when you have like 300, 500 people, they they can go to the country and they can disappear in some way. But when you have 300,000 and another 300,000 are basically waiting to return or to go to Afghanistan, that's a mass of people. It's, it's like, you know, it's like one city, basically. So do we have any information how those people are received in Afghanistan in terms of crossing the border? They cross the border and then what? I think, as I said, um, I don't know. I didn't see um, any, you know, any documented um, uh, or people interviewing for uh, for news saying uh, what uh, happened there. So I think it's a it's a bigger problem of the in Afghanistan that uh, after the Taliban came in power, so uh, all the media outlets are, are being uh, restricted. Um, as I see, I saw last month uh, an NGO of uh, Afro- Afghan uh, journalists that moved from the country uh, said how much the media there uh, is not uh, you know like in a democratic state that you can uh, report anything uh, you have. Uh, the ministry there is really strict. So, like in other countries, um, in this uh, situation, we don't see a lot of uh, uh, of things coming out from there. Um, what I, I can say is how I know the the international community um, is being uh, being helpful or not helpful for these uh, situations. So, beside um, human rights interest groups like the UN-related organizations, um, the refugee crisis didn't shake the word the international community as it should, or as we think it is supposed to be should. Uh, although the two words uh, biggest power, the United States and China, showed some kind of interest in the in pressure regarding the crisis, we didn't see, uh, they didn't use as much power as they could to prevent the narrow, uh, uh, to prevent or narrow the Pakistani decision. Um, Washington, from its side, which has a long history, as we know, in Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, held a high-level diplomatic discussion in Pakistan about a week after the Pakistani decision. Uh, in retrospect, the decision uh, fell short, or maybe the U.S. just wanted, you know, to fulfill its uh, obligation as a world's uh, biggest power. Uh, on the other end, China's ambassador um, to Afghanistan stated that uh, Pakistan's decision is against human rights and harms good neighborliness. So Beijing also gave Kabul a, a humanitarian package referring to the refugees, uh, but not more than that. So this is uh, what the big powers or the big nations gave to the refugees to help them um, or to minor the crisis. Uh, one of the reasons, uh, I think, for this um, maybe minor response from the international community lies on the other background events that occur in our time in the international arena. 
uh, such as the uh, Russia-Ukraine war and afterwards the uh, Israel-Hamas war that started uh, just after the Pakistani decision, uh, which, uh, by the way, has already extended into a wider conflict involving Yemen, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, and uh, and so. So with uh, that being said, the world interest focused uh, moved from Afghanistan, let's say, in about 2021 um, to uh, to Ukraine. And so, so things, uh, uh, so that is why I think both U.S. and China aren't so keen to help the Afghans and, of course, other countries. But I, I spoke about the bigger ones because uh, most of the 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 movement, I, I would say, with the decisions that are being uh, transitioned in the world, is the uh, most um, being uh, being uh, influ- uh, influenced uh, by those two. So, what's interesting is uh, China is slowly but surely starting to attach Afghanistan to the Belt and Road uh, Initiative. Um, one of the critical factors for it is to succeed to balance and mediate between Kabul and uh, Islamabad, by the way, about the refugee crisis. Um, therefore, they didn't put any pressure on Pakistan on this occasion. So they want to be, I would say, on the bridge. Uh, so they, did, they didn't do any drastic uh, things on this uh, occasion. And, you know, is there any any chance that Pakistan will change the decision about those visas and undocumented migrants? If I would uh, had to answer in one word, so no. But uh, diving in the question, uh, there is a, a small odd it will happen. Um, as uh, we know, Pakistan is uh, uh, facing a big uh, political crisis. Uh, they have now a temporary uh, government. Um, so... Uh, I don't know. It maybe would be, uh, be um, depend on which uh, government will be selected. So, uh, for an instance, uh, we know that one of the biggest uh, political uh, um, officials or um, one of the big uh, main characters in Pakistan, uh, Fazlur Rahman, is a uh, head of the JUI political parties that uh, maybe will be voted in the next elections. Uh, has been, uh, he went uh, last month, sorry, this month to Afghanistan to meet with the Taliban officials um, in order to improve the connection between uh, the countries. So maybe if, let's say, he would be elected in the next elections, uh, Pakistan will do uh, one thing or another regarding the the crisis. Um, But I'm not so optimistic. I think it's... um, you know, maybe for his voters or potential voters, he does what he does. Um, so uh, that's about it. Um, we can see uh, what how Pakistan has managed this crisis, uh, and we can dive in a little bit if you want about the how it managed. Uh, Absolutely. What, yeah. Okay. So. Absolutely. I think. With understanding uh, the Pakistani action, we we could see why it's um, not why I'm not optimistic that uh, this decision uh, would be changed. So we can dive in the Pakistani actions as I see it in two main levels: the governmental level and the regional, or I would say, uh, tactical level. Okay. So I would start further with the lower one, where I think it's uh, interesting uh, movements are made. Uh, I think that Pakistan is using many types of uh, push factors uh, to increase and speed up the deportation to Afghanistan of the refugees. Uh, for example, and I will quote one of the NGOs' uh, reports about it from October 2023. It said that Pakistani government is using threats, abuse, and detention to coerce uh, Afghan asylum seekers without legal status to return to Afghanistan of face deportation by November 1st, 2023. So uh, this this is about it. Um, moreover, there is uh, several uh, indications that the, the Pakistani police demanded bribes and the property, jewelry, and homes uh, of the these undocumented Afghans. Um, and even some women said uh, they faced uh, sexual assault 
uh, by the policemen. So add those facts to the fact that the, the asylum seekers waiting to depart to a third country rather than uh, returning to Afghanistan uh, would be charged more than $800 for overstaying their visas uh, or not pausing documents uh, to stay legally. Uh, in other words, an am- amount of money that uh, those, uh, let's say, refugees could not uh, afford. So it's it's make their wish to deport to a third country rather than returning to uh, the Taliban-led Afghanistan unrealistic, and it pushes them pushes them, uh, back to Afghanistan. So this is on the lower level or the tactical level, uh, one of the push factors. At the governmental level, Pakistan acts more calculated and carefully due its uh, international criticism. For instance, uh, while the fi- final decision uh, for deportation was the first of November 2023, Islamabad decided to extend uh, the deadline to the 29th of February 2024 uh, for Afghans uh, who wait for uh, documented uh, for documents. Uh, so it's I don't know if it's uh, really matters, but it's something um, to accelerate. Uh, the deportation process, Pakistan opened more borders uh, crossing for the mission, which makes uh, it's about five border crossing just for the this cause. Um, it's, I think it shows how important for them is to uh, complete this mission of the refugees as quickly as it can. Uh, by the way, the Pakistani government stated that one, uh, 90% of the 450 Thousand people who have already returned to Afghanistan since September did it voluntarily. So, as we said before, we can see the difference between the human rights reports and the Pakistani reports, and I think it's important to say that too. So, after talking about the Pak side, let's talk a bit, a little bit of the Afghan side. So, basically, the Taliban uh, Ministry of Refugees said that uh, it placed, as I uh, told. Uh, the returning people in the temporary camps and try to find them jobs. Uh, by the way, it's really tough because uh, we have um, realized that since the Taliban came back in power in August 2021, the, um, the, the, un, the people in Afghanistan have faced big increase in the unemployment rate, about more than uh, 100%. So... Meanwhile, the world, the world, uh, the world Health Organization, the WHO, uh, it provides, as we know, right? I didn't see any pictures. Uh, health services to returning Afghans and the UN International Organization for Migration provide them uh, with shelter, wa- water, food, and essential, essential uh, household items. So it's important to mention, however, that the UN still calls for urgent support for the returning Afghans who stay under very challenging conditions. So really, I don't know what is uh, happening really on the ground, but this is what they say. Naturally, some people might ask a question that it's been like two and a half years since those people came to Pakistan. So why now? What's the, what's the time frame of this decision to, to get rid of those people like at that time? Because as you said, you know, Pakistan is, is politically instable. So it's, it's a quite a big operation for Pakistan to complete at this current stage and the conditions of political uh, climate in Pakistan. Yeah, so I think to, in order to, uh, I don't know, to open this question, question and uh, answer it step by step, uh, it's a really a key uh, question. We have to go back and understand the, the actors uh, current dynamics uh, since the Taliban raised uh, in power. Um, so from our very start, uh, the Taliban presence of the ruler in Afghanistan, Pakistan started suffering for, uh, from a, a significant increase of the terror attacks inside the country, mainly in their areas near the border with Afghanistan. Uh, we are talking just to uh, just to make it clear about, uh, I think, 645 militant attacks that took the lives of nearly 1,000 Pakistanis just in 2023 alone. Okay, it's an increase of 
500% in the terrorist attacks since the Taliban takeover. So we see what Pakistan faces. So dealing with this security crisis, Pakistan first blames and still blames the Taliban um, for letting and helping the parallel organization, the TTP, the Pakistani Taliban, to execute these attacks in its um, um, in its territory. So it's really dramatic because for 20 years we knew about a, a good relationship between the Taliban and Pakistan. And suddenly, after taking back power, the Taliban went against its uh, previous ally. Uh, so firstly, Pakistan hosted uh, many diplomatic high-level and tactical-level talks and, uh, to try and stop the Taliban from assisting uh, the TTP and stop the terror attacks. So first, it, uh, it tried uh, dip- diplomatically. Uh, uh, actually, those efforts are still taking place. We have to mention that. After the Taliban denied and still denied the connection with the TTP, um, the reotic uh, deteriorated while the terrorist attack continued. Um, meanwhile, the Taliban government, who couldn't uh, find any solution for the security crisis uh, that continued and continued um, inside the country, had had to take some uh, some action. So the caretaker uh, government led by uh, Prime Minister Anwar Ahak Kakar eventually took the decision the refugees to deportation uh, because he indicated that some of these undocumented uh, Afghans were behind the TTP attacks in the country. So uh, this uh, big decision he, he took after we talked about the backend story, uh, what uh, caused, I think, the uh, mainly the deportation uh, decision. Uh, first of all, we have to mention uh, that the crisis, the um, Economic crisis in Pakistan is maybe one of the other um, factors that uh, uh, driven the prime minister to to make this uh, decision. So maybe it's uh, another uh, factor in this decision. So after talking about the background uh, story, um, we 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 see um, it's the from August twenty twenty one. It's a continuous snowball in the downtrend of the AFPAC relations. So we can see that uh, by the response of the Taliban leaders calling this act uh, non-Muslim, I think it's a big words for the accusing the Pakistani that they are a Muslim country, a proud Muslim country, calling them non-Muslim. Uh, we see by that the severity of the act. From uh, this point forward, I think it could go, uh, go to into two directions. So the first one, what I found unlikely is that this action will lower the flames between the actors, between the Taliban and the Pakistani government, uh, as the Taliban will be deterred from the action. Uh, I think this is what the Pakistani uh, government wanted in the first place, but I find it uh, unlikely. Uh, I think that the other uh, uh, place it could go, as we see on the ground, by the way, uh, as there is an uh, increase in the TTP and related uh, terrorist group attacks in Pakistan, uh, other Taliban would want to respond to Islamabad decision indirectly. Uh, in this kind of uh, response, we have already witnessed the Tariqa Jihad, Pakistan, it's uh, a new wing of the TTP, uh, took responsibility of some attacks against the Pakistani soldiers in early November. So, I think this option is really taking place on the ground, uh, not as the Pakistani uh, wanted uh, in the first place. In terms of terrorism, can you can you either sum up, you know, which groups are operating, you know, in Pakistan, Afghanistan, and between? So our viewers have sort of like little summary because I think there are more elements, and we need to clarify who is who. Well, every every day I open the news, <laughs> I find new terrorist groups. So, I think it's yeah, yeah, it's really hard to to um, to follow all the you know because I think on the ground uh, everybody um, takes uh, a name of a new cell of uh, of a new part of a terrorist uh, organization. So I will talk about the I I don't know the three main 
okay. uh, groups that are operating in this uh, um, this ground. So, as I said, I think the biggest is the ISIS K, the ISIS Khorasan, that uh, have big uh, implication on the Afghan and Pakistan um, um, policy. Uh, the, so, not just them, uh, other uh, um, of the Central Asia countries. So, it has a, a big increase in their recruit, recruitment and um, attacks since 2021. We see it, the UN talks about it a lot. Many experts around the world try to uh, avoid or balance their attacks. So, th- this is the first group. Uh, the other group, as I said, it's the what I called um, the Afghan Taliban's um, allies. So we can mention by that uh, the bigger one is uh, Tariqa Taliban, the, what we call the TTP, Pakistani Taliban in short. So they they are behind most of the attack in Pakistan. Uh, we see them operate from Afghanistan into uh, the Pakistan borders. Uh, they are in a very similar ideolo- ideology uh, like uh, the Afghan Taliban. So they want to to um, to replace the government in Pakistan into like the Taliban government in Afghanistan, as they call a Muslim um, or Islamic regime, as they, they uh, see it. So they uh, they are most of them are Pashtuns, like the, most of the Afghan Taliban. So we have to mention that they have a, a very close connection um, as the same um, ethnic group. Uh, this is the second one. We can uh, attach them to the Al Qaeda and other smaller organizations in the in the area. As we see from 2021, Al Qaeda uh, is not operating in uh, big scales. It's mainly training uh, in in Afghanistan. So we didn't see much from them. Maybe assisting, but uh, not more than that. So this is a second group. And the third group, we see some uh, Baluch um, organizations. Uh, like uh, Baluchistan uh, um, BLF Liberation Army or, or Liberation Front, or in the Iranian side, as we, we see, uh, as we saw not long ago, Jesh uh, al Adel. Um, so many Baluch uh, organizations that want to, um, to let's say, um, replace the government in their areas, Baluchistan, the historic Baluchistan, and um, Repair them at the, at the state of their own. So this is the three main organizations. Uh, one of the um, the purposes of those organizations is not just harming civilians or uh, Pakistani uh, soldiers or something like that. It's also um, um, targeting Chinese people, Chinese workers, uh, in order to uh, replace the Chinese dominance that is growing in the in the areas, um, in order to, as I said, the, to re- replace and harden the Pakistani government. I think it's also very uh, useful to say that, uh, because I think people see Afghanistan as a country with like sort of hills. You know, we, we hear all those stories about the caves, people in the villages and all those. But in 2010, the British Independent published the article Afghanistan's resources could make it the richest mining region on Earth because they stated that Pentagon and the US Geological Survey they discovered Mm -hmm. that Afghanistan is sitting on one trillion of untapped minerals. So, So, you know, what we see on the surface is not what is under the surface of Afghanistan. And I think, as you rightly pointed out, you know, this might attract many Chinese companies because China needs resources. And Afghanistan, you know, geopolitically is, you know, quite close to China as, as we, we have a look at the map, you know. So I think that's also quite interesting to, to elaborate on. So let's let's stop a little bit economics, you know, like what is the relation between Afghanistan and Pakistan in terms of economics, trade? Are those countries collaborating or they don't have, you know, official diplomatic relations? First of all, most of the Taliban uh, economy 
is based on the trade with uh, Pakistan. We have to mention that. So in this case, uh, also Pakistan has a, a big leverage over uh, Taliban's uh, decision. Uh, let's say in the last uh, week, uh, they closed one of the, the main crossing borders between the countries that uh, led to a big, uh, big uh, uh, decrease in the export between uh, the countries. So it's a big, um, it's big, uh, it's a big harm for the Taliban regime. Um, so they have really, really uh, big economic uh, relations due to its uh, neighboring uh, parts, and uh, I think that also the cultural and uh, ethnic um, closeness. So I think this is the maybe the main uh, character that I would say about the, how I would define the connection between the countries. Um, so this is about it. I think that. Talking about China, we we, as I said, they're trying, surely, but um, but they they know what they're doing to to connect Afghanistan into the Belt and Road, intent. So, uh, they they're big, uh, they're they're doing big um, project in uh, Pakistan, like uh, like uh, the CPEC. Um, it's a, a project that um, that will make uh, China. Um, I don't know, uh, connect with the Arab Sea. So they know uh, Afghanistan is a very strategic, uh, strategic, sorry, uh, place. Uh, so they, they're trying to engage more and more with the, the Taliban, uh, even though they rec- uh, recognize the, sorry, they didn't recognize officially the, the Taliban regime, but they have a, an open embassy in Kabul. They have ma- many uh, meetings, in China, in uh, in Afghanistan, with officials, with uh, economy uh, related people. So this is about it. I think if we're talking more or more about the uh, geopolitics. So after uh, the U.S. and uh, NATO had uh, lived left, sorry, Afghanistan in 2021, um, um, this whole relations decrease of relations between Taliban and Pakistan uh, comes of a result. From it, so for 20 years, things in the in Afghanistan and Pakistan comes uh, come the, as a result of the American uh, uh, presence in the region. So now, after they left, there were they started some sort of a, some sort of a vacuum in the region. Um, so meanwhile, the the Taliban had uh, to get some help and shelter from Pakistan in the 20 years of, uh, Americans were uh, in the country. Where, uh, which thought, which Pakistan thought to make, make one day a proxy or a puppet regime after the American withdrew. However, the Taliban had the different plans, as we know. And uh, as a new actor, it used uh, it's, uh, the regional vacuum of power and wanted to change the balance of power between uh, the Taliban and uh, Pakistan. So, therefore, the Taliban used the, the TTP, uh, the proxy tool, to balance Pakistan's power in order to leverage it in uh, into the diplomatic spectrum. Um, as mentioned, to this day, no, no government recognizes uh, the Taliban as their uh, regime in Afghanistan. So putting pressure on Pakistan might be one of the Taliban's aim, its uh, policy. Uh, the Taliban knows that Pakistan faces tough times. So increasing its uh, security and instability is a key to bettering uh, the positions uh, of the Taliban. So after saying that, I think that also China saw this opportunity of the vacuum of power and try uh, to get more involvement in the region uh, as, uh, as it, uh, we saw it in, um, after some talks between the Taliban and Pakistan regarding the security uh, challenge. So uh, China uh, mediate, mediated between the sides a couple of times. Uh, so it tries to be, let's say, the new uh, big actor in the region, but very, very slowly, not to um, dig more than it should in the Afghan uh, mud. Also, some people say, and and this is, you know, some sort of interesting to hear, that majority of those problems between Pakistan and Afghanistan, they come from the fact of the border, which was established by colonial powers. What's your opinion about it? You know that 
in some way, some some people they theorize, you know, if they could change the border based on the ethnicity and all those people who have been living there for centuries, those problems would be much less in the scale of conflict than they are at the moment. So I think as a, as someone as a, that lives in the Middle East and uh, see it in the everyday life, I think the this is a colonial uh, present they left us. So, yeah, I think it's true. The the borders are a big um, a big challenge or makes a big crisis is in South Asia and the Middle East and so. So, the Durant line that they had put between, as you said, in 1893, I think, um, so it divided the Pashtuns and other uh, communities uh, into two. So, it made up that till today, Afghanistan, it doesn't matter if the Taliban regime or others previous regimes didn't recognize uh, the line, the border. So it's make it uh, another uh, opportunity for extremist organizations to to give it, um, I don't know, a purpose to hit uh, another countries. So the Taliban also said uh, to Pakistan, it, it doesn't re- recognize um the fence or the borderline, there's uh, the fence is not, uh, you know, the border, right? It's like uh, more than two thousand kilometers, so it gives them it gives them a, a good excuse for that. And uh, by saying sometimes we didn't operate in uh, Pakistan because it's Afghanistan, so it's a uh, really uh, difficult. And also to the you know the people, the normal people living in the two sides of the lines, uh, some families, some uh, more. Um, more connections uh, that are now facing, you know, two countries. So it's really difficult and it makes it challenging uh, both diplomacy and both uh, diplomacy, sorry, and both uh, security. When you mentioned diplomacy, what's what's about diplomatic relations between Pakistan and, and Afghanistan? You know, do you see any like diplomatic activities going on to sort out that crisis? I think it's, it's quite interesting because, as I said, uh, as I thought, and many people thought after the Taliban came to power, they would be good allies. So they have a really long uh, years uh, relation between the two parties. So, but uh, uh, I think the Taliban had different plans in the first place. So they knew that the Pakistan would be uh, looking at them from uh, uh, from the I don't know from from up and they wanted to balance the relations so there is a lot of diplomatic activity between the countries a lot um, in many levels but as I see uh, on the ground there is not a lot of results uh, on the one hand Pakistan says to the Taliban don't help the TTP and so and so and on the other hand uh, uh, Afghanistan the Taliban de facto authorities tell them we're not uh, doing nothing so Stop blaming us, and it um, really, as I said, a, a big snowball that uh, goes on and goes on. And the uh, reality, um, it's hard for both uh, sides, mainly for Pakistan, that need to, to I don't know, to cooperate. On the one hand, with Taliban, and on the other hand, they know that there is there they are about uh, sorry they they are uh, behind most of the attacks in their country. So it's make it really complicated. And based on your research, do you think that this crisis needs sort of mediator or, or an actor who can help to Pakistan and Afghanistan to come to the solution? And if so, who that actor might be? So I think the actor is now trying to mediate the most is China, as I said. Uh, it, it has a big leverage in the region uh, as uh, Pakistan really... Uh, really needs uh, China's help economically in the everyday life. And uh, Afghanistan is uh, more and more uh, signing uh, projects with uh, China. So uh, most, uh, I, I would say in the next years, uh, the countries would be really depend on China economically. So this is the first option. I think that Qatar that uh, mediate uh, more and more conflicts in the world, let's say, now Israel and Hamas, uh, it's, it uh, takes a more and more, uh, I don't know, uh, regional and uh, 
bigger place in the mediation between two states. So I think Qatar, uh, as uh, as it has good relations with the Taliban, the Taliban um, use them uh, to mediate uh, between them and the, the U.S. They have uh, the Taliban has an office opening for the last I don't know a lot of years in uh, Qatar. So I mean Qatar as an Islamic uh, regime would be uh, good for, to mediate between between the sides, but uh, until the the Taliban would want this uh, engagement, it would it wouldn't be happened. So I think the the problem is the Taliban. They do, they didn't want uh, this relationship uh, at this current time. This power distribution uh, respects them, and no actor uh, would uh, change that for now. Let's touch a little bit culture. Uh, what do you think? How are the culture and social dynamics affected in both countries? Because it's a mess of people, you know, and at some point, those people, they might leave, they might have some jobs, they might influence the culture. And as we say, you know, it's, it's, we're talking about 600,000 people plus minus. So what do you think about those dynamics? I don't see, I didn't see any grand changes in the dynamics between the countries socially. I think that on the one hand, Pakistan is trying to reduce the size of the situation. We don't see a lot of uh, diplomatic action regarding the refugees. And even the Pakistani media doesn't talk about uh, the crisis a lot. It's not in the front, uh, front headlines. Uh, until the Iranian attacks in Pakistan three days ago, the majority of the headlines in the PAC newspaper were dedicated to the Israeli-Hamas war. Um, I think that in the today's media-driven reality, social trends trends are often influenced uh, by what uh, in the front uh, pages on the news outlets and social media platforms. In addition, I saw I saw a couple of Pakistani activity. Uh, um, human rights activists and uh, journalists criticizing the refugee decision. I think it's uh, maybe a pattern, but I don't know. Uh, most of them are doing that uh, quietly, uh, quietly, and uh, I don't know in the back of their uh, articles. Um, I think it uh, in this kind of country uh, that uh, that who is uh, really controlling it? It's uh, uh, the the army. So you you won't criticize publicly uh, this kind of a decision. So that's about it. What's about the ethnicity? What is the role of ethnicity in this crisis? And also, if you can perhaps briefly explain who are Pashtuns, you know, like, is it a tribe? Is it a nation that has no country? How can we understand Pashtuns properly? So I'm not a big expert of uh, tribes, but I know the Pashtuns uh, live in the the what called Pashtunistan, the area. Uh, I don't know really the borders, but uh, in Google I think uh, it will give us a good uh, example between the the but the Durand line had uh, cut them into two. So in this kind of uh, um, area, so it's a uh, old tribe, a uh, big uh, ethnic group um, that. Uh, as I said, divided between uh, the countries. And I think it's one of the most challenging um, thing in this uh, refugee crisis and uh, and the dividing of uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. Um, so I don't know if uh, how how is the connections between the, the people on the ground between the two sides, but I assess that there, there is a um, family relations and um, other relations. Uh, as we saw, uh, like in the when the Taliban first grew in the madrasas in the Pakistani side, but moved uh, afterwards to uh, Afghanistan. Let's go to one of the most complicated questions, and this is a long-term policy for Afghanistan and Pakistan to sort out this crisis. Do we have any proposals? Maybe some ideas that that you researched. So unfortunately, I really don't know and didn't see any long-term uh, solution for the, uh, this uh, challenge. Uh, Pakistan is already in a big mess, politically, economically, securely. So these refugees aren't in their first priority. And we saw and we talked a lot about 
how they wanted to push them uh, as quick as they could. So actually, they, they basically just wanted to get rid of them, in other words. So yet there is a, a small chance, as, as we talked, uh, that if the Rahman, a political-led uh, party, the JEUI, will be elected um, next year, this year, we will see a different approach from Islam to Kabul and maybe a, a different um, a different uh, decision about the refugees. Mohammed, uh, uh, as I said, already met with the Taliban officials in Kabul this month and expressed his view to improve the, the engagement uh, between the countries. Uh, on the other end, Afghanistan doesn't have really nothing to do except to um, deter, deter or maybe put more uh, other pressure on Islamabad to reduce uh, this kind of uh, this decision. So I feel I feel it's really complex. The two uh, countries are really uh, unstable, and uh, it's hard to question any long-term solutions on any anything. Do you think that this this crisis can escalate into conflict? Like, for instance, there is a Afghan military or Afghan forces coming to the border and maybe the same from the Pakistani side because as we see you know now Pakistan is busy with Iran and I'm thinking you know if they open the second front that might have some implication on Pakistan and region we if we, we, we look back on the on the, uh, the time uh, timeline between the Taliban that took power and today so we saw a couple of incidents in the border. Um, we saw, I think in 2022, I don't remember the current uh, month, but Pakistan attacked uh, with uh, airplanes, uh, missiles uh, in Afghanistan uh, territory uh, in order to target the TTP uh, terrorists. So uh, afterwards, it uh, led to a big uh, downtrend, another one in the relationship between the countries. And some incidents uh, occurred in the between Pak soldiers and um, or TDP or uh, Taliban soldiers. In another hand, we don't really know the difference. It's hard to uh, to see it because, uh, as I said, it's really the same tribes, the same people. And uh, today I'm TDP. Today I'm a Afghan Taliban. It's really hard to to see the difference. So uh, it's already begun. So this all uh, situation is is part of what. Uh, uh, depended on what happened uh, in these uh, three almost years. So I think that uh, either side doesn't want to, to open a second front, but it's it's like a, a calculated uh, deterrence between the sides in order to, as I said, to balance the decisions between the, the, uh, the actors. Uh, I think one day it will uh, break even and uh, stop, but until then, uh, both sides will uh, uh, do what they know best and to leverage the situation to their sides. I think it's also also important to mention that Pakistan has nuclear weapons, and if there is political instability and a bit of chaos, you know, we we don't know what's gonna happen with those weapons. You know, as as you said, there are different groups operating in Pakistan. And I think international community should pay more attention to Pakistan because this is quite crucial that we are speaking about country with nuclear weapons. So that, that makes a big difference geopolitically, but also in terms of international security. And I think, you know, you might know better than me that it's super important to have secure nuclear weapons like silos or, or those storages, you know, so they are secure. That's my my thought about this, you know, conflict. Yeah, so I think uh, I uh, should have started with uh, saying that Pakistan is the uh, only Muslim uh, um, uh, nuclear country. So it's uh, we have to put it uh, in, uh, in front and say that I think that Pakistan will never uh, target Afghanistan uh, with a nuclear uh, or a large scale of uh, attack, there uh, there is two um, good relation uh, throughout the years, ethnical and cultural, 
uh, ties between the countries. But I think this whole whole uh, world dynamics uh, coming from uh, Ukraine and uh, throughout uh, Gaza and Israel uh, and Yemen and uh, Red Sea and uh, so and so. So um, saying that with uh, uh, with adding the fact that Pakistan is very unstable in these times, uh, they're really the the world uh, world uh, biggest powers in the international community has to look in uh, with two eyes uh, directly into Pakistan to see it doesn't um, goes too much claustrophobic. Uh, uh, so um, it's a really really uh, um, annoying situation that. Um, a nuclear country is so unstable and you don't know what the presence will give you. So um, I think who should be most in charge is Saudi, Saudi Arabia, that uh, it's really uh, giving a lot of uh, Pakistanis uh, money, Pakistan government money, and, and help to build the nuclear um, ability. So uh, it has a lot of, um, a lot of um, how you say it, percentage in the Pakistani uh, this way project. So they should be really, really um, looking towards uh, Pakistan to make sure that it doesn't uh, fall. Ido, you are researching Pakistan, Afghanistan and, and that whole region. Can you please tell us what are the challenges when you are researching that region? And also, on the other hand, what fascinates you? The biggest challenge is uh, mis- and disinformation. Okay. So, uh, as someone that lives in the Middle East, I see how much uh, the mass of information come come to me, and some of them is half truth. Some of them, uh, some of it is is not uh, the truth, and some of it uh, it's the really good information. So, when we are talking about a, a, an area I didn't lived in or have been um, a lot of time in, so. Uh, you can read a lot, but you have to uh, to see what's uh, w- which reference is uh, the the best or um, close to reality, and uh, you need to know which uh, people to depend on, and it's uh, make it really challenging. Uh, what desires me, I think, when you're talking about Afghanistan and Pakistan, you can't say one sentence about geopolitics without saying a word about security. Uh, and tribes, and uh, it makes it uh, really challenging and complex to, to research this uh, region. Every day I, I learn something new, uh, something I didn't know, a new terrorist cell that comes up, I, um, a new fact I didn't know. It's a really, really uh, reachable and uh, historically uh, countries. Um, and that's about it, I think. And, and what about collaboration with uh, Pakistani and uh, Afghan scholars? So most of the time I have uh, a few uh, scholars that I, I talk to. Um, as uh, my country has a, uh, hasn't uh, or doesn't have uh, really a relationship with uh, those uh, countries till now, so it's uh, make it uh, more complex and I uh, uh, need to do it uh, slow, uh, but uh, uh, people are good and uh, collaborating. And we, at the end of the day, we, we are all uh, humans that want uh, peace and uh, stability. So in the end of the day, it's, uh, it's work. And what about the research areas? Uh, which research areas when it comes to Pakistan and Afghanistan, in terms of geopolitics and security, do you consider as important, maybe a bit underestimated, but still very important for the international community, that maybe our viewers or our students can touch and maybe they can write some papers or even collaborate with you? It's hard to mention which uh, current area, but I think Kandahar. Uh, as we know, there was in Netflix a good movie about Kandahar, uh, uh, so people can watch. Uh, I think this uh, this um, this uh, area are, are being the new uh, de facto uh, capital of the Taliban. So the the most of the influ- influential people, the uh, the people that lead the country, the Taliban, is living there, and all the the main activity is happening there. So I think to dive in this area would be a good place to research. 
uh, I think that uh, the 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 meetings between um, between the um, between Taliban officials and Pakistani officials and others, uh, the main meetings will be there because, as we know, the Taliban is an Islamic group. So um, sometimes the government, even the you know the one that uh, has been the, the decision maker, sometimes it's uh, it's uh, uh, the more uh, religious uh, actors in the in the group. So I think this uh, this place will be more influ- influential. In the next times. Lido, thank you very much for your time, for your insightful thoughts and remarks about this complicated, complex, but still extremely important topic in terms of international security and geopolitics. Thank you very much, Martin. Thank you for being on IR Thinker and see you next time.